Hi, I'm your host, Randy Davis, here with Faith in Your Recovery. This is episode one, and we're looking forward to the future, and even more so looking forward to having you as a part of our future, and we want to be in that future with you. I represent a better life, Brianna's Hope. We are a participant-driven, faith-based, compassion-filled support and recovery movement for those battling the battle with substance use disorder, or as most of the time our group will simply refer to it as a Addiction. And we're here, and I'm excited to be able to share this time with Vaughn Walker. Vaughn's our guest. Welcome, Vaughn. Good to have you. Good to be here. Thank you. You are uh, more than welcome. Look forward to what you have to share. We'll get into this in just a moment as we do. We just want you to know that we want to be with you, not just for you, but with you. And I'm sure Vaughn's going to share a lot of that same sentiment. We'll get opened up here. We'll just address a few things to Vaughn and, you know, we'll kind of share in his experience and hopefully you can relate to that from your own past and your own struggles and above all your own victory. So we're not going to stop the struggle. We're going to show you the way out of that darkness and way into the goodness, way into a better life. So Vaughn, tell us a little bit about what your life's been about, maybe some of those struggles and challenges, and then we'll get into those victories and those highs after a bit. Okay. All right. Um, first of all, I'd like to say that I my diagnosis was polysubstance abuse I mean dependence which means that I really didn't have a favorite a number one choice of drugs three or more and I was anything to get me high anything to get me high it's the way I was and I, I just want everybody to know I've been in recovery for 16 years now wow congratulations so, thank you yeah so um you know it started out when I was about 14 years old you know, I drank my first beer at eight years old, but I mean, actually, to become a regular drinker and substance user, it started out about 14 years old on the weekends. Um, I grew up in Alexandria, and we pretty much on the weekends we rode around in cars and we drank and smoked dope. But uh, then by the time I was 16, 17, I was drinking through the week and partying through the week and the weekends. And by the time I, I went to the Navy, I got discharged because of my eyes were messed up. So by the time I was 18, it was full-blown addiction. I just I was off the charts. What uh, Do you have any idea what led you to that? It was more for you that peer pressure kind of thing, maybe getting in with that wrong group and poor decisions? I really, I mean, I'm probably one of these weird people. I enjoyed flying. I mean, that was it. I enjoyed the feeling, and no one twisted my arm to get me into it. And uh, I always made the choice. Even when my friends quit, I didn't. Okay. Okay. Thanks for that kind of honesty, because I'm sure there are some others out there who aren't ready to admit the enjoyment of it. Right. Uh, you know, that struggle becomes obvious, but to enjoy it and to know what it's doing to you had to be a, uh, a challenge for you mentally as well as physically. Oh, yeah. And uh, I mean, I'll be honest with you. First time they dropped me in treatment, I was 21 years old and my work forced me to go. Um, I didn't want to go. Had no intention of staying clean, um, just saving my job. And then later they put me in another detox center, and I actually, I just walked out of that one because I I just wasn't ready to give up. And that's, I think that's a lot of it. We're just not ready. 
So how many different times did you end up going to treatment, rehab, whatever the label may have been? Well, I went the national standard. It took three times. And actually, when I found recovery, I didn't even go into treatment. I found it in church. You found it in church. We're going to talk about that here in just a little bit. All right. Would you mind sharing with us some of what your your time of addiction and your drinking or your you know poly substances cost you uh, personally? Oh, I've been divorced three times, and that was because I loved my drugs and alcohol more than I loved the, anything else. Um, now I've been I got married. I've been married for 22 years now. So. Um, so it cost me time with my kids. Um, cost me jail, of course, and uh, you know it just. I I personally believe it cost me careers because I was chasing drugs and alcohol all the time, and so the careers I was at, I mean that I found always had, some, like I managed restaurants or I bartended. It always kept me in these arenas where I could keep partying. Does that make sense? Absolutely. There's that old statement of changing your people, your places, and your things. And at that point, you weren't changing the places. Uh, You were there with that easy access. And like you just said, you hadn't made the decision yet to walk away from it. So obviously, when it's that close to you, it's going to be hard to say no to it. Exactly. And I honestly think some of my different situations i put myself in so i could have that easy access you know i'd say there was plenty of better jobs i could have found but i wanted the easy access so i stayed where i was that makes sense one of the things that i've seen as i you know work with and alongside those folks who are struggling that idea of self-sabotage uh we may not recognize it in the moment but as we look back just like you sabotaged yourself by making it so available and so that that choice becomes so easy at that time even when you know it's the wrong choice right yeah i agree 100%. Yeah, yeah. So what what was the the moment in your mind to where you decided, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired? Um, I can't say that moment was mine. (laughs) Like I said, I've been married for 22 years now, and my wife had quit drinking and using drugs, but I hadn't. And she looked at me and said, something's got to change. And told me if I didn't straighten up, if I didn't make different choices, that the marriage was going to be over. So she kind of laid it on the line. She was turning her life around, and she knew if you guys were going to be able to make a future, you were going to have to turn yours around. Is that correct? That's saying, yes, that's correct. Yeah, yeah. So uh, what were your first steps in making the journey in a positive direction? Okay, the first steps I did was, it's kind of funny because she drugged me to church. <laughs> she drugged me to drugs church. to be drugged to church. Yeah, right? um, and I'll be honest with you. First time I walked in church, I used to wear my hair long, had a ponytail, everything else. I threw my cigarettes in my front pocket. I rolled up my sleeves and showed my tattoos. I put, pulled my hair out of the ponytail so it was hanging, and I walked in that church waiting for somebody to say something so I could say they offended me and I could leave. <laughs> There's that self sabotage again, right? Yep. Yeah. So, so what happened on that trip to church? Um, actually, uh, because I told her I'd go once and I was there. 
and this old World War fighter pilot came, two fighter pilot came up to me and said, glad you're here. I said, yeah, whatever. <laughs> you know, and after church came up to me and said, man, I, you look about my size. I got a raincoat at home that I think that would fit you great. He said, it's real nice. He said, I'll bring it to you next Sunday. And I said, okay. And now I was walking away. I'm like, man, now I got to come next Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, one of those choices that didn't seem good that obviously has worked out for the best. Yes, yes. Yeah. So uh, then what happened after that? You're back that next Sunday. You get your raincoat. Yeah, I got my raincoat. Did you stay for the whole service or get your raincoat and run? Yeah, I stayed for the whole service, and I actually let down my walls some and introduced myself to a few people, and they came up. It's the second time, so they more. I think they felt more comfortable. Sure. And uh, I had my hair in a ponytail instead of hanging out. <laughs> um, I just I allowed... I dropped the walls a little bit so they could come and talk to me. And uh, I let go of a little bit of the attitude. Figured they weren't that bad. And so I decided to try it another Sunday. And I've been going every Sunday since. <laughs> I liked it there, as you said, you allowed. And that's that's what it takes. We've got to let other people in, don't we? I mean, we can build that wall, build that fence. And we've got the excuses to build it with. Oh, yeah. But when we start facing those excuses it's not just a matter of getting over the denial it's a matter of doing something about it that yes 100 percent. yeah so opening your mind and heart to others and seeing there was another way so go ahead with a little more of that story and tell us how it progressed where you're at today how that's going okay so the i'm going to be honest first year of my recovery i was angry um, you don't hear that much. People talk about, well, everything's great. No, I was mad. I was mad because everything I turned to was gone now. And so it was a real struggle. I can remember looking at my wife because my wife definitely was ahead of me on the God factor. And uh, I looked at her and said, well, will you pray for this? And she said, "And she said, well, why don't you pray for it? I said, because God listens to you. He doesn't me. And that... When I said that, that moment, I realized I'm seeing myself as a second best because of my past. So as I was going to church and stuff, I was looking at forgiveness. I would say I knew Christ forgave me, but I had to learn to forgive myself. Oh, yes. And that became a big key for me, you know, because someone else forgiven me for something, but learning to forgive myself and saying, okay, that's here. That's not me anymore. Yes. That was a definite struggle for me. You know, recovery has to be a scary thing because, you know, as long as you were dealing with your choice of drugs on that given day, you pretty well knew what to expect. But what's recovery going to look like? What's it going to take away from me? How am I going to have to change that? You had to have a lot of questions, I think. I had a lot of fear that ran through me. And to be honest, because I remember just sitting there thinking, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? Without drugs and alcohol, what is out there? I mean, because it'd been so long. I mean, you got to figure, I was 42 years old. I'd been doing this since I was 14. And I'm saying, what else is out there? Family relationships had been estranged. You know, them they were there, but they weren't solid. Right. You know, because I'd hurt too many people. And so you feel like you're standing on an island, and you're looking for the boat that's going to come up and 
help you out. Whisk you away to security and peace and comfort. And that boat comes very slowly, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah I think they used a rowboat for me. <laughs> <laughs> and a small one, perhaps. Yeah. Okay. All right. As you went through the, the journey of recovery, what's a particular moment that that you remember that sticks out in your mind in my recovery yes okay i me and my wife um on our 10-year anniversary decided to get baptized and we got baptized i remember i came up and they asked me if i wanted to say anything and i said i'm not where i want to be but thank god i'm not what i used to be Ugh. that was locked what locked when i made that statement it felt like everything just locked for me I knew that I wasn't going back to that life. Does it, I don't know if that makes no. sense to anybody else, but I mean, as soon as I made that statement, it was like that confirmation I needed to hear from myself. Well, you were the one having trouble forgiving yourself. You needed to know from within that you meant what you were saying from the outside, and obviously you did. I, I just kind of picture you as climbing to a mountain point, making that statement, then you're able to walk down the other side. You can still fall going down, okay? And uh, I, I've always heard the story of how a 20-foot extension ladder has 18 steps so it takes 18 steps to get to the top but do you know how many steps it takes to get to the bottom one <laughs> uh, we fall much quicker than we climb so you know that's still with you do you have any fear of that fall now i don't but i did in the beginning um sure. i've been doing this for 16 years so and with my relationship with God, I feel solid in it. But the one lesson I had to learn was because mountaintops are easy. Those are the good time. But I had to remember God is God of the valley, too. Amen. So when I went to a valley, when I got to feeling depressed, when things was going rough, that God was there with me then, and I didn't have to turn to the drugs or the alcohol. So the process of the valleys was my real learning experiences. Yes. That's yes. where trust started coming back into my life. That's where faith was built into my life. So if things get too easy, now I get concerned because I'm like, things are too easy. I need a valley to bring me back closer to God. Now, I don't volunteer for valleys. I'm just using that as an example. <laughs> I got you. I understand that. I can relate to that totally, and I think many can. Uh so, so you feel like you're at least walking on the plateau at this point. You're not on that mountaintop. You're not down in that valley. You can see them both from where you're at. And uh, we all want more mountaintop experiences. But like you say, it's in those darkest moments that the light of God shines the brightest. And we're able to see that path. What, what would be your advice to someone who is facing their their own demons of addiction and struggle? Now that when you're first coming in, I would always say be honest with yourself, but you don't have the ability to be honest with yourself right then. So find somebody that can help you be honest with yourself. For me personally, that was my relationship with God and then my relationship with my wife um, because she wasn't afraid to call me out. <laughs> but that's why support groups, I think they're great because there's people, they have compassion, but you also build that on that rapport where they can be honest with you. And, and you have to be willing to receive that honesty. Yes. Not just throw the wall up again because they're coming to you from compassion, not to victimize you. 
Does that make sense? Total sense. So how have you used what you went through to help others with what they're going through? Well, I was an addiction counselor for quite a few years, um, and now I'm a case manager with CJC, but I'm leaving there because I'm going back over to chaplaincy at Madison County Jail. Oh, so wow. I'll be the assistant chaplain full-time over there. Oh, that's incredible. Uh, we have been involved with Turning Point from here in Madison County. We put together a video that plays on a loop there at the jail in A Better Life. Brianna's hopes a part of that as well as probably a dozen or 15 other individuals and groups. <laughs> and we know that the folks who are in there, at least I come from Jay County, and the sheriff there has told me 92 to 94% of his inmates are in there on drug-related uh, charges. And when I say drug-related, I don't mean charged on drugs, but maybe stealing to get the money to buy the drug. And I spoke to the sheriff here in town as well. He was at one of our meetings, and he said their percentage is just about the same thing. So, uh, you know, it's a scary thing, and the help is needed in there. Thank you for what you're doing there and what you're going to be doing. What do you think's the biggest challenge you'll face there, Vaughn? I know it's kind of early in the game to even know what the challenges will be. Well, I used to work there, and when COVID hit, and uh, I used to own a company, and when COVID hit, I sold the company, and I was only there part-time, so that's how I wound up going to CJC. And so now I'm going back full-time. But uh, the challenge is, first of all, is denial. And when you talk to people, they always feel like a victim because they're in the situation. So you got to try to turn that. And if you can turn that to where they can see that their choices brought them here, now you have a chance oh, yeah. because you can start saying, okay, your choice, this is, you know, and I use my own examples. I mean, I come out of recovery. I'm very transparent about it. And it's like, listen, you probably haven't done anything I haven't done. The only difference is I didn't get caught. And it's not because I'm that smart. Yeah. It's because I just didn't get caught. And so when you get that rapport going with them, and then you can start chipping away at this denial. And if once they admit to it, now you have a fighting chance because then you can start hooking them up. If they don't have a home, they can come to the Christian Center. Okay, and I know they're going to get things at the Christian Center. You can refer them out here. Why they're still incarcerated, we have different, we have Celebrate Recovery in there, and uh, we have church in there. And there's a couple other groups we want to bring in for the inmates so we can get them started while they're incarcerated. But then the important part is having the referrals to send them to once they're released. I have seen the statistic, and the statistic for recovery is far higher after you go through any kind of rehab and treatment if you'll get involved with a support recovery group of some type. Mm -hmm. Uh, You need that You know, that continued communication, that support, that recognition, that acceptance, and, you know, everything that goes with it. I I think I picked up on something as you were speaking there, the idea that you have to own your problem before you can do anything about it. Mm -hmm. Uh, You own it, and then you, uh, you know, you you go through some channels, you seek God, uh, and then you're able to start taking those steps forward and to make the next right step exactly exactly and because if i go back to me my own my steps and my will always led me to where i was <laughs> so you know you got to get there and then you if you'll just break away at that trust a little bit but the referrals 
if we can break that trust, then they'll carry it out. The referrals are so important because they're the ones that are there on the front line when they have people trying to get them to go back to that life, stuff like that. I can't say, and I don't care if the support comes from church, AA, NA. Um, we have Brianna's Hope here. We have Celebrate Recovery. Just engage with something, exactly. someone. Yeah, that's why I said a little bit ago, the importance of those recovery groups and uh, finding those of like mind and like effort who are after the same positive goal. We used to party with those who, uh, you know, who weren't taking us to a good place. Mm -hmm. Now we need to recover with those that, uh, you know, that will take us there. For A Better Life, Brianna's Hope, our theme in this upcoming year is going to be it's actually 2022. It is two, the digit zero, the number two, and then TWO, which simply stands for Together We Overcome. Uh, when you see it in writing, it's a little clearer that I can speak <laughs> it. But uh, we believe that, you know, the opposite of addiction isn't necessarily sobriety, it's community, it's connection. And whether you're connecting with God or others who are struggling, that's why we use the, uh, you know, the title for our group that we do, Faith in Your Recovery. We've got to have faith in the process, faith in those around about us, faith in those who are leading us in the best of directions, and we believe ultimately faith in God, and that all of that together can move you far, you know, to a far greater distance than we're going to move without it. Yeah, it's a... Uh... Because there's a lot of people I've talked to, and they're just like, I don't have faith. I'm like, just borrow mine. Just borrow <laughs> mine enough to walk in that door. Borrow mine enough to talk to somebody. Yes. You know, because that will take care of itself if we can get them there. You know what? I never thought of it in those terms, but what I picture is wearing that raincoat that you talked about and somebody holding on to the back of it coming in church with you. Mm -hmm. You know, that are holding on to a bit of your faith. Uh, we know that you can't can't make it on somebody else's faith, but if it'll get you started, it's a wonderful way to find the seed. Yes, yes. So, Vaughn, can you think of anything I haven't addressed or haven't asked you that you would like to uh, to mention or even ask? Mm. I can't think of anything right now. Um, because there's, I'd like to know a little bit about Brianna's hope a oh. little bit more and. Uh, but as far as, you know, I want to thank you for not asking me to share a drunk log. <laughs> because so many people want to hear why you came out of it. I'm a new creation in Christ today. Uh, you know, I think it's, it's important that we get bits and pieces. Otherwise, we don't know what you came out of. We don't know what your darkness was, but I don't think we need every detail either. Yeah, I mean, a couple of things, just so people know I was out there. I've been through a telephone pole at 110 miles an hour and walked away. Wow. Wow. You know, I've had three divorces, um, been shot at, uh, been stabbed. You know, that's, that's stuff that goes with life. But what I really wanted to mention is I've also had four friends murdered because of the drug and alcohol lifestyle. And I had another friend who was executed because of his choices when he was on a drug rage. Wow. Wow. So, 
if that didn't get your attention, what's going to, right? sad part is that didn't get my attention. Yeah, but it's held a part of you. Or you wouldn't yes. be mentioned it here today, even if that wasn't the moment. The grief I had to still deal oh, with when yeah. I got off drugs and alcohol. I will never forget one of the funerals that I did was a... Uh, suicide murder and it was alcohol related and i was asked to do the funeral for both parties the gal and the guy and it was the guy who was you know the shooter but uh the pain that i watched both families go through the anger and all that went with it and this morning i got up to a text message at about 6 a.m of a young mother of 22 who overdosed and died they thought she was doing better she leaves behind two young children and everything that goes with it so the battle is real and we want to you know we want to walk alongside those who are in that battle with guys like you around who are willing to to share to where people can relate so well you know it's it's just like that world war ii veteran you become that veteran to others so yes yeah i tell people as they're as they go along their christian walk their recovery or whatever they should have one arm stretched out forward hanging on to somebody that's ahead of them but they have to remember to reach out behind them and grab that person that's not along the the road as far as they are because we always wind up we need the mentor situation but we need the mentee situation too absolutely we've got to kind of connect that chain Mm -hmm. uh, with god as that main link Mm -hmm. Uh, but we've got to be reaching both ways that that keeps us humble as well as excited yes so i think that's all good uh Brianna's hope is, you know, is about a lot of that. We want to be there with those individuals. We get a lot of individuals who are in a real raw state as far as their recovery. They don't know where to turn, and we see ourselves as a starting point, and we certainly want folks to move beyond, to stick with us, but, you know, we want to be able to combine and work together with other groups, organizations, recovery movements. Unfortunately, Fortunately, there's enough folks in need that, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. the numbers are there. I wish that wasn't the case, but we know better. And statistics are showing that each day. So we continue to offer ourselves in all ways. We'll resource people into rehabs. We'll help them find a group when they move or another group. Uh, if one group worked for everybody, we wouldn't both be here. Right. But we keep hunting for that fit for each one individually. We don't wear the same size of shoes. We're not going to wear the same size of recovery. But we believe there is a recovery for all. And we believe it starts with that faith in your recovery. So whatever we can do to help propel that, to help perpetuate it and move you on, that's what we want to be able to do. Uh, So anything else, Vaughn, before we, you know, get ready to to move a little different direction? 
I think I'm. A, that's all that's coming to me right now. <laughs> so. Well, listen, I greatly appreciate your time as being our guest and being involved, and this is just another way to connect. As you spoke when you came in, we'd connected at other times, mm-hmm. but we've never sat at a table in front of a microphone like this, <laughs> have we? No, never done that before. <laughs> <laughs> and I like that, and, uh, you know, this is good for me, and I hope it's good for you, and better yet, we hope it's good for the community of strugglers. Amen. Amen. Yeah. And I know that you would be there in any way you could be, and that if there's some sort of contact made with us, we'll help get folks in your direction. So once again, thank you. Thank you for your time, your commitment, and your heart. Well, thank you for having me, and it was a real privilege, and God bless you. Thank you. Don't give up on yourself, and don't give in to the urge. Your answer, your healing, your recovery— may be in our next episode. Have faith in your recovery by having faith in yourself, your journey, and above all, God. Believe and stay in the fight.